Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box Podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Hi everyone, so it's Chris here, and before we start the podcast, I just wanted to apologize for the audio quality. We had to use a different microphone for this episode, but obviously it's not up to par, so we will go back to the old one for the next episode, but we hope that you give it a listen. There's some really great stories that Cam shares, and we'll be back better than ever for our next episode. Thanks. Welcome to Podcast 20. I'm Cam Connor, along with my son, Chris. So we are back from a little bit of a break, and going forward, we will continue to podcast, but it might not happen on a weekly basis. It might happen every two weeks, maybe every three weeks. It all depends on what stories we feel like sharing and the questions that you have and just what's happening in life. So the best way to find out when a new episode hits is to make sure you subscribe to the podcast because then it will just pop up in your feed. So we will start off with a couple questions that you have, Dad. The first one is from Barry, and he wants to know what your first NHL goal was like. Well, I was I played four years in the World Hockey before I jumped over to the National Hockey League, and I do remember my first goal. It was against Vancouver, and it uh, was uh, against a goalie named Brodeur, and it was a deflection in the slot, and I beat him. It was it didn't happen the first or two weeks of the season. It actually happened probably the last half of the season. I wasn't getting a lot of ice time in Montreal. This team was a powerhouse that had won the Stanley Cup three years in a row, and they only lost one player from their Stanley Cup team. And uh, I was added, Mark Napier was added, a guy named Pat Hughes, and Hall of Famer Rod Langway. So we were all fighting for ice time, and it's pretty hard. So it came late, or in about the middle of the season, and again, uh, it was a deflection. And what they do in Montreal is give you a plaque and your puck, and they tell you what time you scored the goal and who you scored it against, and who got the assist. So I have that up on my wall, and uh, I really do cherish it. I wish I would have maybe scored my first goal a little earlier in the year, but it is what it is. And I believe you actually tweeted a photo. There's a really nice photo of your first goal. So people are interested, you can uh, check out your Twitter, at CamConnorNHL. And speaking of your Twitter, for people that are following you, you posted a pretty interesting picture, I think it was yesterday or the day before, of someone pretty impressive that you ran into at the intermission of the Oiler Ranger game. So do you want to talk about who that was and a little bit of maybe what you talked about? For sure. So on Saturday night, uh, we... Uh, I was I had tickets to the game and uh, the Oilers have an alumni room which we get to go up to before the game and between periods and so I actually had some uh, business clients with with me and we went up uh, before the game after the first period and after the second period 
After the second period, there wasn't many of the guys in the room. And when I walked in there, Wayne Gretzky was there. And uh, Wayne is a pretty down-to-earth guy. And we had a nice talk. And usually when Wayne's around, there's lots of people. And everybody wants a piece of his time, including, you know, ex-players and uh, people that don't know him but want to get pictures and autographs. So it it was really special to me to be able to introduce him to my clients and for me just to sit there and shoot the breeze with him. And one of the things that he told me, which I thought it was pretty funny, actually, I asked Wayne, I said, Wayne, uh, what kind of schedule you got? He said, oh, my God. And he talked about all the cities he's in, what countries he's got coming up he's got to go to. And I think uh, just looking at Wayne, I think he's getting tired. He's got such a busy, busy schedule. And I said, well, at least, uh, you know, the season coming to an end, uh, do you get a little time off in the summer? He said, are you kidding me? He said, it's getting even busier for me. And again, he named me a schedule and I asked him how his son-in-law was doing, Dustin Johnson. And he said, he's, you know, he's doing great and he's hooking up with him in the summer at this course and that course. And he also said that uh, he is opening, I believe he said, 25 Wayne Gretzky arenas in China. And uh, I believe he said also that his, his son is going to be doing uh, teaching um, at his hockey school. So he'll be there signing autographs. I'm not sure if he's going to be on the ice, but so he's this will be his second visit to China. And I said, wow, you do keep busy. And he said to me, and he said, well, you know, I was talking to Dave Hunter the other day. And I said to Hunter, he said, Dave, I should have just scored 10 goals a year like yourself. And so I thought that was pretty funny because... Uh, being so successful, everybody wants a piece of him, and I think he longs for a little quieter life sometimes. So that was who, that's who I hooked up with. So it sounds like he's a victim of his own success, but I'm sure he probably wouldn't want it any other no, way. No, he, he wouldn't want it, and, and that's exactly right. A victim of his own success. That's why I didn't want to score 50 goals. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, that kind of leads into the question that we have from Nico, and he asks, what... Uh, what can the Oilers do to improve, and where do you think they went wrong, in your opinion, right for this season? Yes, you know, and believe me, I'll give my opinion, and I don't want any, if the Oilers coaches happen to get wind of it, or anybody in the order Organization. Front staff, yeah. exactly. You know, I'm not telling anybody what to do, or this is the reason. It's just an opinion, right or wrong, because if you ask 50 people in Edmonton, what's wrong with the Oilers? you'll probably get 42 different opinions. And so the coach, you know, he he knows there's a problem and he's working on it as the GM and everybody else. In my opinion, when I look at the talent that they have and I look at, let's just say, Lucci's, who has been struggling. That doesn't mean he's not trying and he's not doing his best. But you get in a rut where sometimes you're trying so hard that you're spinning your wheels. And if you talk to him, he's going to tell you, I give her my best every shift and every game, but he's not getting results for his efforts. And I've learned from some good coaches over the year, plus my own observations, and I look at myself. You look at, uh, Chris, you might have to help me. How to, I, There's a Finnish hockey player on the team, and I want to say Per VRV. I think it's Pajarvi. <laughs> yeah, well, we're both sucking on that name, but we've got an excuse. It's Finnish last name. 
he is a guy who's been here, I want to say a couple years now, and, uh, you know, up and down. He's got a tremendous talent, there's no doubt about it. And you look, the Finnish national team a few years ago in junior, that Finnish team kicked butt. They were so good. And so Winnipeg drafted Lanny, I think L-A-I-N-E. That guy's got 33, 34, 35 goals this season. And I read an article when they were saying, you know, as a teenager, you've scored X amount of goals and the record is, you know, I don't know, another 15 goals past what he's got now. He's got so much confidence. He says, oh, yeah, I want to beat that record. I can beat that record. And he believes in himself, and he's got a lot of confidence. And if you've listened to my other podcasts, once you get to the NHL, you have got to have a lot of confidence. So when I look at Harvey he's got the talent. There's no, that's the reason the Oilers drafted him. And he's out there trying his best, but he's blending in too. He'll have a good game here and a good game there. And I really believe, you know, with a lot of those Oilers players, you need to reprogram their mind. You got to talk to these guys, sit them down like the Pierre Viarvi, and say to him as a coach, assistant coach, and just say, you know what? We drafted you because, you know, you are one of the finest and fastest skaters, and what you can do with that puck in your shot is unbelievable. And get him, get his mindset in a positive, and you got to say things you believe. You can't just talk. So I really believe that if you start giving him a lot of positives and tell him what he's all about and you, all the good things that he can do, I think you got to reprogram these mind their minds. They haven't lost their talent. It's there. But when you get in a mindset, because I was like that with Scotty Bowman in Montreal, he intimidated me and he was he was he was a yeller and screamer, and I don't do well with it. I tried my best and I worked as hard if not harder than anybody else I wanted it bad but when I got on the ice I did just the basics I covered my defenseman in our own end I just stayed on my own wing I didn't want to make mistakes and when you look at the guys that have confidence they don't think like that they're all over the ice and they're playing a game of hockey the way they would as if There was no coaches and no audience. You just drop a puck and your talent just takes over and you play a game of hockey. And that's what I truly believe now. I think you could use this scenario with the other NHL teams that are maybe struggling. Sit down their players. I remember when Craig Patrick sent me to the minors with the Rangers. I'd never been to the minors ever. He didn't. Say to me, Cam, you know, you, you can do better and we, we're going to be looking at you over the next two weeks or a month and reprogram me and, and, and enlighten me as to maybe what I'm not doing that I'm capable of doing. He just said, oh, you're down to the minors and you cleared waivers. I said, well, could you just give me a little bit, you know, two weeks and see what I do? No, nope, you're gone. And, and that was it. And I don't think if somebody's got the talent and you know that Lucci's has the talent. And you know that Parviarvi, he, he has the talent, as others on the Oilers do. I honestly believe you just got to reprogram their mind with a lot of positives. And, and perhaps a guy like Lucci, and again, this is just my opinion, perhaps what you got to do, because when you play a game of hockey, 
you're at ice level and you see that game way differently and it's way faster than when you're sitting in the stands. When you're sitting in the stands, it is so easy to say, oh, well, look at that guy was open. Why didn't he put it up there? You don't see it the same way. The great superstars see it as if they're playing in the, in the stands, like a Gretzky. He's like he's sitting in the stands making his decisions. So I just believe that, um, like like Lucci, just for example, he's trying hard, but he's got the mindset that is not working for him. I perhaps, and he'd be pissed because he's a competitor, but I might have to, if I was a coach, just put him in the stands for seven days, 15 days, 10 days, whatever it is. And put you, because when I got suspended, I got suspended for two games when I first got into Flin Flon. I didn't have any points after eight games. I had 82 penalty minutes and a two-game suspension because I went into the other team's dressing room and I beat up a guy. So they, today you get life, but I got two games. The, those two games in the stands, I got up there and I watched it. I learned so much. It was a blessing that I had two games off. So I, I truly believe like, what do you got to lose? Reprogram their minds. Put a couple of stars who never get sat out. You're not doing it to be mean. I think in the long run, it'll help you. Put them in the stands. Watch the game from the press box. You'll see you got way more time with the puck than you really believe when you're on the ice. And I think it'll reprogram his mind. And when he comes back, he's going to be pissed that he's missed these games. And I think he would see a new player... And again, with Lucic, he's got the ability to be a good physical player. But I know, and I'm not comparing my talent to his. He's a better hockey player than me, but I played an aggressive game. And friends of mine that were on the other team, they tell me after the fact that, uh, you know, when you're out there playing the game, when you're not playing an aggressive game, you're not as effective. And so with him, as with myself, other teams, they know, let's just leave Lucic alone. Let's not get him fired up. Let's not run him. Let's not, you know, challenge him because once that fire is lit in him, he's another player. And so they let him just leave him alone on the ice. So I just believe that if he sits in the stands, not as a punishment, but as a reprogramming, um, and that's that's that could be effective with a lot of teams. You just got to approach it and do it in a positive sense. And I think, you know, with the Oilers, because that's who we're talking about now, I really think that it benefit them. You got to pat them on the back and uh, remind them of the talent that they do have. They're not playing bad because they don't have talent. They're playing bad because I, I, I really believe they're in a mindset that, that's not working for them right now, so you need to reprogram them. And it must be tough when you know you're 99% not going to make the playoffs to still have that motivation. Well, it is, but I think, in my opinion, in my whole life, even as a kid, there's only one year that I never made the playoffs, and I was so pissed and disappointed. Um, I was proud of the fact that every team I ever played for, and I've got to believe, you know what, these guys are professionals. I honestly, some people say, oh, well, they're not even trying I can't buy that for a minute. I, I don't know anybody that's a professional that doesn't want to do the best they can. Um, I think they're trying, but again, I think you just got to get a different mindset with these guys. 
But the interesting thing with hockey is that they get paid no matter what, where if you look like something like tennis, where you only get paid if you win. So it is interesting that the paycheck's the same whether you win or lose. Well, there's no doubt about it. But, um, you know, that's a whole nother topic, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't even want to get into that now. And, and speaking of the Oilers, did you hear about uh, Connor McDavid and his parents getting heckled? Well, I actually saw that on television tonight. Yeah, what'd you think? Well, you know, he's a true professional because the reporters asked him, what about that? He just said, oh, that doesn't bug me at all. And I believe it. Again, he's got the confidence that you want to chirp him. He does his talking on the ice. Other guys, you know what? You might chirp the wrong player. Unfortunately, I don't I don't think, I'm not saying that a wrong player would punch you, but I know they might turn around and, you know, just verbally give it back to you, which is, you know, you should probably walk away like he did and keep walking. But, you know, it's it's just, there may be other players on the orders that you want to chirp, but he is not the guy to chirp. That guy gives you everything that he has, the talent that he has. He skates, he gives it his best, and it's not an accident that guy it's third in the league scoring with, you know, a team that's not going to make the playoffs and there's not a lot of supporting cast on the team that's helping him right now or consistently helping him. And uh, the coach said that he spends a lot of his free time at uh, the children's hospitals. So it sounds like he's a good guy. Well, I believe he is too, You're right? He, uh, he cares about others. Um, he is shy, which is fine. But he does his talking on the ice, and he's not somebody that blows his own horn. He doesn't tell anybody, hey, I was up visiting in the hospital, and I did this on my spare time. He just does it, and those are the kind of guys that I just love. He's not looking for a pat on the back by anybody. He just does it because it's the right thing to do, and he realizes that he is somebody that people want his autographs, and, and they want to get pictures with him. So he does it for all the right reasons. And so I totally respect him. And he's not the guy that anybody should be chirping. And his personality seems probably similar to Wayne Gretzky. Well, exactly. There's a lot of common denominators with these superstars. And, you know, there's a few that I've met who I won't name who a little bit cocky and a little bit, you know, full of themselves. But that goes back to the confidence side. Whereas, whereas a Wayne and a Connor McDavid, you know what? They know they know inside that they're good, but they don't have to go and uh, brag about what they do and how good they are. Because like my father told me when I was younger, I I was in a car with him with some of the hockey players, and I was talking about, hey, just you know, see what I did last game, and he never said a word to me till we got home, and he just said, Cameron. If you are truly good at something, he said, you don't have to brag about yourself. He said, others will do it for you. And he is so right about that. So, so Connor McDavid is not the guy you want to chirp. And I should mention, if you have any questions, you can always send an email at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. Send a tweet at camconnornhl. And we do have t-shirts, so if you were wanting a View from the Penalty Box t-shirt, you can visit our website, viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch. And we want to take a second to thank SeatGeek, who has partnered with us for probably the last 
two months, and one of the reasons we agreed to partner with SeatGeek, as I've mentioned, is it's a company that we have used before. Because buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. And so the reason that I use SeatGeek is it's an easy app that I just have on my phone. You look up the concert. So for what I did is we wanted to see Santana, who is coming, I think, I think in a couple weeks. And so we used the SeatGeek app and we had a wide selection of tickets and actually tickets that I couldn't find on Ticketmaster. And I'm not sure why that is, but there was a great selection of tickets available for all different ranges of prices. And I think that's because they are looking at throughout all the different websites that are hosting these tickets and they're looking and finding you the best uh, value for your money the most bang for your buck and what SeatGeek does is it grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget and so I've seen tickets for like $10 all the way up to 400 so there truly is a ticket for everyone and the events range from sporting and concerts and ballet and whatever you're looking for uh, SeatGeek has it and for our listeners, if you download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PENALTY, uh, you will save $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And if you do order something, we'd love to hear what concert or where you're going. So send us a tweet or an email and let us know. The main topic for today is we thought, okay, Dad, you've talked about the top five uh, fighters that you fought or competed with. And we thought we'd flip it over and think of who are the top five players that you think were either like the best players or the most skilled. I know you've talked about Wayne Gretzky and Gordie Howe in the past, and I'm sure they're in your top five. And maybe you can't even limit it to five because I know you've played with quite a few uh, really great players. So if you could just list some of the, the best players that you've played with and why did they make your list? Well, I have played with some superstars, and I know that some of our listeners have said, well, you know, why don't you talk about some of the modern guys today? You know, I, I didn't I didn't play in the last recent X amount of years, and so the knowledge and the players that I played with come from a different era, and the rules of the game of hockey were different. Um, it's a different game today. And the style of play is different. And when I look back at some of the great players that I played with, um, I, I was fortunate. You've already mentioned Wayne Gretzky and Gordie Howe. There's Mark Messier in his, you know, his, he was only 18. And Kevin Lowe, you know, he's the guy that, um, you know, nobody will put him in the category of, uh, you know, a great hockey player, for example, like a Messier. Or uh, Grand Fear was right up there. These 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 four or five superstars that they had on the Oiler Powerhouse team. Kevin was somebody that, who if you know him, the competitiveness in him was second to none. He wanted to win. He did what he had to do. And uh, he made other people around him better as well. So I personally would put him up there as a really, really good team hockey player. And when you say Kevin Lowe is competitive, I also saw that firsthand because I worked for the Oilers up in the press box for about three to four years. 
and uh, I saw firsthand, like we knew when you were not allowed to talk to Kevin Lowe, and he definitely was a really nice guy, but really intense. So I can add my two cents on that one. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's true. You know, I don't want a teammate that takes it all in stride. I want the ones that got the fire burning in their stomach and they're pissed. Okay, you're going to lose hockey games and I'm not saying you got to walk around with the lip on every time you lose. That's not what I'm saying. But it's got to piss you off inside that uh, maybe some games you should have won, you didn't. You're not always going to win. There's no team that's in any sport that's ever won every game. But you got to give it your best and you got to have that fire in your belly that every game you want to win and you got to be disappointed when you don't it's a long season so like i said just because we're talking about kevin but all the superstars they have that fire in the belly they don't come in the dressing room and start screaming and yelling there are a couple guys that lose it in the dressing room but those aren't really the guys that you go to war with when i look in montreal you know, and I know you talk about top five. I, I, I can't just limit it to five. There's a lot of winners that I played with. And I've mentioned their names before. The great Canadians, like a Jacques Lemaire, like Yvonne Cornoyer, like a Bob Ganey, a Guy Lafleur that was on that team, um, a guy like Rajon Wool. Uh, Larry Robinson, Ken Dryden, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe, and I'm probably missing a few guys. I put them in the top five, even though there's probably 10 of them that I'm naming. These guys, they taught me so much that when I was in Montreal, just by observing every practice, those guys, they didn't float. They pushed as if there's somebody that needed to get into the lineup and they work not not like I'm a superstar and I know I won't get yelled at if I, I'm, I'm tired today. They pushed. And every day in Montreal, every game, every practice, excuse me, every practice, we scrimmaged every single time on the ice. Every time. Even if it was only five, six minutes, we scrimmaged. And they teach you, you play the same way you practice. So if you think you can just show up and fool around and float and practice, but I'm going to turn it on in the game, it doesn't work that way. And these great Montreal Canadians, they showed everybody else, the every practice. So when we're having a scrimmage, keep your head up because it's just you play the same way, you practice the same way you'll play in the game. So in our scrimmages, Guys were taking out the body hard. You have to keep you, you played with your head up. And if you didn't, somebody is going to step into you. And and when you watch these guys, you pick up on what they're doing right. And, and you try to become that person and not let the team down and work just as hard, if not harder, to make sure you get a regular spot in the lineup. You know, again, like a Lafleur. I can't say enough about Guy Lafleur. He is somebody that, and Cornway and Lemaire, like I guess quite a few of those Canadians, 
when we played the big bad Boston Bruins, and again, the rules were way different. You could slash guys. We used to, if you were the winger across from me, and you were skating towards my end, I would slash you all the way down the ice to let you know that I'm there. Not a problem. There's no penalty for that. When I look at Lafleur after the games, all the marks on his body, he never complained once. I remember in the shower, I said, what the hell happened to you? And he said, oh, the Boston Bruins, they spear me and they slash me. That guy and the others never took one step backwards. Um, you will see some guys, when the games get rough, where are they? Where are they? You don't see them. And then when there's not a rough game, all of a sudden you see these guys, oh, they're doing well. Well, if you're going to be a superstar, you better show up every game against the tough teams or the not-so-tough teams. I admire, again, especially Lafleur and Ganey, Bob Ganey. These guys, you could run them, you could slash them, you could spear them, you could get in their face. Next shift, they're going to work just as hard. I learned that from these guys. They're winners. They practice like winners. They talk like winner, winners. They act like winners. And they're a good role model for other players. And uh, they seem to always... Um, Always lead by example. And and you don't have to be the most boisterous player on the team. There's some guys on the team, like a Ganey and Dryden, they didn't say too much. But when they had something to say, you listen. Because they didn't. if you're chirping every day and you're rah, 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 it's just a voice in the dressing room. Some of these guys, they didn't say much. But when they talked, you listened. Because it was pretty important. And so... You know, in in and, and again, these guys all had confidence. They didn't have to walk around and talk about how good. They never bragged about what they did and what they, how many goals or assists. They never, ever, when the game was over, they didn't want any attention. They would probably put it on other people. And so, you know, I admire those kind of guys. Uh, it's like my dad said, if you're good, let other people brag about you. Because if you're not so good and you think you're good, you know, you'll find out that people, they'll talk about you if you really are good. When I go to, when I play with the Rangers, a guy like Phyllis Bizzito, you can never take away what he's done offensively. Um, I I haven't looked up the stats, but I think he scored. I don't know, 50 goals a few times. Like, he could score goals. Um, there's no doubt about it. And he put himself, he was a big man in front of the net. He played on tough teams in Boston. So when you play on a tough team, that usually gives you a little bit more time because you can get away with a little bit more because, you know, if somebody goes after you, Phil, then there's going to be three or four tough boys coming after them. So they tend to leave you alone and you can get away with more. And so with Phil, you cannot take away the talent and his accomplishments. He was fantastic for Team Canada in 1972 against the Russians. What a leader. Unbelievable. But Phil? Phil believes in Phil. So when you hear Phil talk, he's not afraid to pat himself on the back. And uh, But he believed it and he backed it up. You know, so that's a different type of superstar. He he was a little bit more talkative than a lot of these guys. But, you know, it's like Ali, Muhammad Ali. He was talkative. He would pat himself, I am the greatest. And that's okay. 
if you can back it up. And so Phil can back it up. Muhammad Ali, as everybody in the world knows, he could back up, you know, when he was talking about himself. So I, I, I would just say that, you know, there was many superstars that I got to play with. And by playing with these guys that have more talent, you also see comes more confidence. And I've talked about that many times in my podcasts. And it's, you know, it's probably not just in the game of hockey or in the sports world confidence. You need confidence in the world. It's a, it's a tough world out there and you better believe in yourself. And uh, I wish I could do my career all over again. So before we wrap this up, I'm going to put you on the spot. And I have a question for you. Who is there someone when you think of when you played in the WHA that you think should have made the NHL but didn't? You know, I have to fill you in, Chris. You know, the World Hockey, they paid as much money as the National Hockey League did. And they were a new league. So, you know, the National Hockey League, how long has it been around? 100 plus years? So back then, if if you, when the teams folded and four teams joined the NHL, anybody that should have made the NHL was picked up by the other team. So... If you're a good hockey player, there may be somebody that slipped under the radar. But the World Hockey, they did have some good hockey players. And having said that, there was players that uh, were more like fillers on the team. And so they, they didn't have the financial stability like a National Hockey League. Like today, they seem to pay their marquee players quite a bit of money. And now their payroll is getting goofy, so they bring in a bunch of lower-paid talent. So there was guys that definitely, if the World Hockey wasn't there, would never have made it in the NHL or stuck very long in the in the WHA. So I, I, I believe that there was plenty of talent that could have played in the National Hockey League, but those guys, they surfaced when the two leagues merged. The world hockey teams were only allowed to protect two of their players. And um, the other ones that were good enough, they got picked up by the remaining clubs. So they were all taken care of. So if you were good enough, you got in there, Chris. Okay. Well, thanks for answering that. And we would love to get your emails. View from the penalty box at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Chris. Yeah, I got one thing to say, Chris. Hey, Chris is saying, send in the questions. Believe me. If you could send in questions even more, it helps me quite a bit. For me to sit here and figure out new topics, it's great because if you ask questions, you know, sometimes it might be a short answer, but boy, you you might kind of trigger something that gets my mind working and I can expand on it. So if there are questions, you know, you don't think they're that important or maybe there's something you really want answered, please, please, you do me a favor, send them in. And it helps me out for my topics. So I'm Cam. And again, I'm Chris. Thank you.